music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me as always is Fred. His penmanship has not improved Moreland. Fred, how does it feel knowing your penmanship hasn't improved since you were seven years old? Uh, it literally hasn't, and it's really embarrassing for everyone involved. Like, if I have to write anything in public, uh, it's just like, it's real like, oh, this is sad. Pretty well, fast. Well, here, Fred, my wife is a pharmacist, and I know, yeah, I know you... Uh, have delved into the field yourself that's your get out of jail free card Anytime... i'm not a doctor i'm not a doctor that that's who gets the card no but th- that's what i'm saying like you know how to read it so eventually you just start to do it yourself the like... problem is i don't know how to read it so what <laughs> it's an like... osmosis thing it's not it's not your fault <laughs> that's right um there is a uh, pharmacy like newsletter slash magazine that does a regular feature of look at this damn prescription someone actually physically wrote can you read it thing <laughs> which is one of the all-time great uh little features uh speaking of little features uh on this wrestling podcast tyler you want to talk about some football fire away i'm always uh, ready to talk ball i'm gonna let this uh let you flex some because you are the uh Head person of Vikings Wire for USA Today. Um, I forget your exact title, so I'll just say Emperor God. Um, I like that better. And uh, let's just let's just talk football. First of all, uh, Broncos, uh, Dolphins. I nearly said the Bills because I looked at a picture of a player for the Bills just now. My brain is smooth and silky. Um, are, are the Dolphins like just really good, or the Broncos really bad? What's the deal there? Where they uh, the Dolphins put seventy on a team in the NFL? The Dolphins are really good, and head coach Mike McDaniel is a very creative play caller. And one thing with this system that they use is they do a lot of intermediate routes, a lot of timing, anticipation, and that's to his bread and butter. That's his strength. So when you get guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who both are like sprinter fast legit like Olympic kind of sprinter speed. And they both know how to play the receiver position, like be able to snap off routes and be able to like run consistent routes and not just go straight. Like Waddle didn't even play on Sunday because he was dealing with a concussion and they still put up 70 like that. It's just impressive stuff. But the, the Broncos are, they're okay. They're kind of a team in transition. Russell Wilson has not worked out. 
and Sean Payton's got his work cut out for him over the next few years. But it's not like the Broncos have been bad. They lost by one, two, and then yesterday was many. Or sorry, Sunday was kind of an anomaly. They lost by fifty. Um, but their first two games, they lost by a total of three points. So it's not like they haven't been competitive. Um, it, it's a very interesting dynamic with the Broncos. They sold the farm to go get Russell Wilson, and then Russell Wilson decided to just stink. Yeah, so, like, is he just shot now? Like, what happened with him? Because as a very casual football guy, like, it's wild to me that he went from, you know, Russell Wilson's superstar quarterback to just, like, the worst. Just total crap. So, Russell Wilson's always had a problem throwing over the middle. And if you want to win in the National Football League, you got to throw over the middle. That's kind of a necessity. He doesn't want to do it. And there were so many times last year where there would be a guy wide open over the middle and you'd point him out, and he would just ignore him. It was, it's almost like a phobia where he just doesn't want to throw over the middle. And you just can't win with that. It's He got away with it a little bit in Seattle, even though everybody knew it, because of how they played. They had a great running game most more often than not. And then he would just make scramble plays. But you have to be able to throw like – between five and 20 yards and over the middle. You just have to. And he does not want to do it. Is it just something that he's not good at? Or like, is there something else going on there? It's a not, I don't want to do it. It's not that he can't. There's nothing precluding him that he can't do it other than his own head. Because I've heard, you know, obviously there's people that like receivers that don't like running routes over the middle because usually that means that you're going to get hit, you know, kind of shittily sometimes if it's not thrown well. Well, Uh, I will say this, Fred. It's not like it was 20 years ago. They have so many rules and protections in place. You're going to get hit, but there's this, it's called the defenseless receiver. So unless like the receiver is already turned up field and is running with the football, it's a penalty. So, like, the guys of yesteryear, like Steve Atwater and Ronnie Lott, who are just going to absolutely try to murder you and decapitate you over the middle, those don't exist anymore. Fair enough. Um, Minnesota Vikings, a football team that we have heard of, um, are they just just awful? Like, are they just dog shit this year? Is this uh, bad luck, though? They're 0-3, but they've only lost by a total of 13 points. They've turned the ball over nine times, Fred. They've that's turned it over good. nine times. No, it's Mathematically, bad. Mathematically, I think that's bad. If they would have turned it over one less time in each game, they probably win all three. Honestly, that's they turned the ball over in the red zone inside the 20-yard line of the opponent three times. It's just uncanny. And they have the ability. They're playing relatively well, but they just keep making mistakes. And... It's costing them. An 0-3 start for how well this team has played is just wild. But you have to be able to play sound football, and they just aren't doing it. Uh, let's see. Let's move to college football real quick. Uh, Duke, <clears throat> ACC champions. Uh, plausible. Yeah. Uh, honestly. They're, they're uh, actually Mike- good, right? Yeah, Mike Elko's done a fantastic job. I mean, Duke doesn't necessarily get to recruit super well. One, they have extremely high academic standards, which is a hindrance in the world of football. Two, they also, it's Duke. Who wants to go there and play football? Like, there's not a level of prestige 
there could have been if Steve Spurrier would have stayed, but he got the job in Florida, and now Florida. Uh, then he kept voting him 20, 25th in the preseason poll. So I love Steve Spurrier. He's a guy. Until they yelled at him and told him to stop at the like tail end <laughs> of his career for their very important preseason coaches poll. God bless. Listen, uh, it, Steve one of Spurrier. One the things ever. Steve Spurrier has some of the best quotes ever. He talked about Peyton Manning coming back for his senior year. He's like, yeah. I don't blame Peyton Manning. I'd want to be three-time MVP of the Florida Citrus Bowl, too. What a trash talker. Oh, uh, Legend. Absolute legend. But at Duke is actually good. Their quarterback, Riley Leonard, is like a better version of Daniel Jones. And I don't mean that as an insult. He's, he's a little bit more of a runner, um, a rhythm thrower, not overly dynamic as a passer, but he can, he can do plenty of good. And yeah, Mike Elko is a great defensive mind, and he has those guys playing hard, playing smart, playing fast. And when you have a talent deficiency, you have to be able to figure out ways to overcome that. And being able to play smart and fast without having to think is one of the easiest ways to do it. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, Jason Kirk watch grid, which is, of course, just great content because Jason Kirk rules. Uh, the total shot down, shut down, full cast uh, family rules. He has exactly two games in his watch this tier on the uh, on his watch grid for the week, which are Utah at Oregon State tonight, top Friday, September 29th, and then tomorrow LSU at Ole Miss. Which game do you think will be better? Just that's from like an entertainment standpoint. I'd rather watch Utah Oregon State. Uh, LSU is just, it's such a weird team to watch because they have so much talent, but they're not fun. Like that, that's just not a fun team to watch. And I, I think our, our own suit Williams at voice of wrestling would probably agree. Cause I know he's an LSU fan that it's just not enjoyable. It's just kind of, eh, and Ole Miss can be fun. Lane Kiffin is just a national treasure in such a different way than Steve Spurrier is, but Oregon State and Utah play phenomenal defense. They're both – it's going to be an old-school barn burner kind of game. They're both going to run the football. And who's going to be able to make enough plays in the passing game in order to get the win? Oregon State got throttled by Washington State last week. That was a great game to watch. Cam Ward out of Washington State. He's not Kyler Murray, but he moves incredibly similar to Kyler Murray, like as far as his evading the pocket and all that stuff. I would rather watch Utah, Oregon State, and quite frankly, once the wife goes to bed, that's going to go on the TV. Uh, Kyler Murray, Murray is probably better at Call of Duty. I will say that. Um, is uh, Utah's quarterback going to be back in time? Nobody really knows. People thought he would be back for the opener against Florida, and that was a month ago. Man. So, who knows at this point? Um, they need him, uh, from what I, what I listened to. Yeah, they absolutely could use him, but they've also been okay without him it's that if they beat ucla 14 to 7 um they beat florida they beat baylor on the road like they're winning but they're not exciting and i mean once you get cam rising back it's not like they're gonna all of a sudden be exciting yeah but it's just their, one of their defense things. is what's exciting because it's just brutal mm-hmm um, yeah. All right, one more question for you, then we'll we'll do what the podcast is actually about. But you know, one of my favorite things to do is try to figure out who's the worst power conference team because I'm a sicko like that. 
And uh, I'm looking at the SP Plus rankings. You've got uh, UVA down at 98, um, and everyone below them is uh, from a group of five conference. So you got UVA, Boston College, uh, Stanford, um, probably some other ones that aren't coming to Northwestern, yeah, um, who are two and two, but their numbers stink. Um, who do you think is the worst power conference team? Worst power five conference team? Ooh. Virginia Tech's down there. Vanderbilt, though, I think that may be a little harsh on them. Well, let me tell you, Odie is making his decision, and he believes it's Northwestern. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree, too. They had a, a decent amount of Exodus players after the Pat Fitzgerald thing. The fact that they beat Minnesota last weekend is a testament to how much P.J. Flex sucks at coaching in game. Um, yeah, that did not end well from them from what I saw. They blew it. Um, they yeah. blew it. That was not uh, it, a that was more a Minnesota loss than a Northwestern win, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And it just they're not a good football team. They just aren't, but they found a way to beat Minnesota, which Minnesota's gonna find a way to like be competitive with Michigan and just make it make no damn sense whatsoever. But probably. that's what Minnesota's done for decades. They lose to teams that they shouldn't every single year, and it prevents them from actually being able to make a real jump. And yeah, Northwestern, I would put as the worst P5 team. Baylor, the worst team in the Big 12, probably is uh, not something I really expected, but here we are. No, um, but people have talked about Dave Veranda potentially being a fraud and really riding the coattails of Matt Rule's recruiting. And now you're starting to see his guys take over. It's not good. Yeah, not, not a good start when you're when West Virginia is out of the Big Twelve basement uh, after a not particularly notable recruiting you know cycle. It's yeah. All right, uh, that's football. Uh, it's a sport where people get concussions, but they don't bleed on purpose, unlike professional wrestling. Um, look at that segue. Um, okay, so let's go through the news of the week, Tyler. What do you say? I'm in. All right, I got an entire four notes here. <laughs> So it's been a quiet week, which after well, we for like the first year of this podcast, we landed right in the middle of CM Punk nonsense. And uh, I, I'm just getting the shakes because I go and check the news and it's just like uh, someone got hurt and Ricky Steamboat did an interview. It's pretty boring and I'm, I'm OK with that every once in a while now. Uh, injuries, injuries, injuries. John Moxley is still recovering from his concussion. He was not cleared for the last dynamite. It's hard to say when he will be back, but you know, at least initially they were optimistic that it would be a short term injury. Uh, Malachi Black has said that he has a hyper extended knee and a slight, slight calf tear. Uh, the House of Black has been basically the Julia Hart show where she's just been squashing people on the way to a title match. And only uh, Brody King is hanging out with her. Um, no Buddy Matthews either, which is interesting. And uh, Adam Cole said that he broke his ankle in three places and also no. tore <clears throat> ligaments. And he needs surgery, but the bro chachos are rolling on. Although uh, Fightful did report that they don't really, that internally they don't expect to see much of Cole while he's out injured. Do we believe that Adam Cole's actually injured? That if he, I, I think, I I did, do not doubt that he injured himself jumping off the, the thing just from the way he reacted in general. Um, now, is it more than a rolled ankle in reality? I mean, it's possible that it's a work. Uh, but, you know, 
the guy was going for an Oscar if that was all a work, I gotta say, because he he came off that ramp and instantly started hobbling along and then hobbled through the entirety of the uh the post match where he was celebrating with MJF. I you know, I think that there is an injury there. Is as bad as three fractures and a ligament tear, you know. It is wrestling. We could be getting worked. Um I don't know, but at least he didn't get further injured by being murdered by MJF on a boat. Yeah. Uh, I we'll get we'll get to that segment in a bit. I just keep thinking that he's gonna show up in a wheelchair and do the Kevin Nash gimmick. Yeah. I think he hurt himself. I I just think there's more to the story. I do. Maybe. Uh, Ricky Steamboat did an interview where he said that uh, he was actually originally pitched on running off Ricky Starks on collision, but he turned it around into the whipping angle so that he would get heat on Ricky Starks. Uh, Ricky Steamboat, AEW assistant booker, question mark. Ricky Steamboat, wrestling legend. Like this, when you that are, worked much better that way. When you're 70, this is what you do. Hulk Hogan, take notes because you should have done this for the last twenty-five years. Like this well, is WWE how booking. This take is notes. how you take care of the next generation. Ricky Steamboat doesn't lose shit for this. He he doesn't become less of a legend. He doesn't like lose any credibility. No, he's a seventy-year-old man who got whipped by a wrestler in his prime. Like that doesn't do anything to hurt him. No. But it helps Ricky Starks because he beat the shit out of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This this is how it should be. And kudos to uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for getting it changed. Uh, let's see. Next up, we got ourselves uh, Eddie Kingston. Good news, bad news. Eddie Kingston has signed a four-year extension with AEW. So the world continues to be cold. Um I think uh, that will be great for AEW, obviously, because Eddie Kingston rules. Um, the The bad news is that he has announced that uh, after winning the Ring of Honor World Championship that he is going to basically stop working the indies. Um, some jokes to be made about him missing dates at other points recently on the indies, but I think he's just trying to physically take care of himself and uh, understandable. Uh, so... Yeah, um, but Eddie's going to be around AEW much longer and good, you know. Yeah, uh, what I did find funny, and we're going to talk about it, is um, he was supposed to face off against Rocky Romero at Defy for the NJPW Strong Openweight title. And now that's on Wrestle Dream. Yep. That, that I found funny. I, I feel for Defy, but yeah, Eddie missing bookings in on the indies. Look, he tries and he really wants to, but his body just can't hold up. I and mean, you know, he's up there in age, so. Yeah, what is he, 41, 42? Uh, 41, birthday coming up in December. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the last story, well, next to last, because I just saw one that I forgot. Uh, Chris Jericho has challenged Kanosuke Takeshita at DDT's Ultimate Party. Meaning, yes, Chris Jericho is traveling to Japan to work DDT, which is something I never thought would happen. But here we are. God, you know what would be sweet? Chris Jericho working the Weapon Rumble. Oh, God. Chris, That would uh, be Jericho. so much fun. 
Chris Jericho working a bullet train match with uh, Minoru Suzuki. Okay. I know that bullet train match hasn't aired yet. I can't wait to watch it. No, I'm going to make it? my wife watch that, and uh, I hope it's good because I'm just going to, like, I, it doesn't matter if it stinks and everyone tells me ahead of time, I might like just be like, look, we got to watch five minutes of bullet train wrestling. Yeah, that's just, look, DDT has challenged wrestling and being outside the box for years and years and years. That at the, it was Suzuki and Takagi, the empty arena match. Like and then they've wrestled in a water park. Yeah. I still remember Chris Books giving like a pile driver on, on the top of a water slide, and then his opponent slid all the way down. Like it's it's so oh, stupid, but it's that. fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. Stupid. It, it's a good thing DDT does this thing. They're they're entertaining. Uh, and the other thing, because we just have to have the stupidest stories when it comes to AW. Um, Someone has emailed Chris White of the Brit Council in the UK. The Brit Council sounds like a uh, 80s one-hit wonder. You know what uh, it sounds like? One of those secret the... societies from like the 1500s. I actually Hoping originally read this as, as they got an email from a guy named Brit Council, which just is very funny to me. But apparently the total attendance for All In, rather than the turnstile count, was 85,528. Okay. Uh, but the actual attendance figure was revised from the turnstile count of 72,265. Um, uh, how many people were at the wrestling show? We'll never know. It's immeasurable. <laughs> yeah, it's Num dumb. Numbers are so hard. Um... Yeah, that's it. Uh, do you have any big thoughts on the TV shows from this past week? Um, uh, uh, Eclair pooped in my house. I can smell it. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, she... Well, and it's hilarious because she just laid a huge dookie right after she ate. I'm like, why are you pooping again? Uh, whatever. Gotta um, make room is, for it. Yeah, this is the life of a, a, a six-year-old rescue dog who's never been potty trained. So... um. Big thoughts from the shows. Let's start Man. with something positive. Uh, Ricky Starks, Brian Danielson ruled. Yes. That was awesome. I went four and three quarter on that. <laughs> I thought that was the best uh, AWTV match outside of like, you know, obviously something like, uh, you know, their big events. Like as far as just a normal-ish TV show, I thought it was fantastic. Um not as good as some other recent Danielson matches, but there's not very many that are better. And Ricky Starks uh, looked like a star. So, so uh, I want one thing I want to talk about is like these one Ray Phoenix versus Jeff Jarrett was one of the weirdest fucking matches I've ever I've ever seen. The dichotomy <laughs> there is just hilarious. And then and Ray Jeff Phoenix hurting his knee, legitimately, apparently. Yeah. And then Jeff Jarrett somehow always losing via roll-up. He doesn't ever get beat. He just gets rolled up every time. Jeff Jarrett at, always wins. At his age, he's not taking a Fire Thunder driver. <laughs> that um, doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah. So, And then the the three-way I thought was actually really good. Brian Cage, Claudio, Castagnoli, and Nick Jackson. And Nick Jackson won. So Nick Jackson versus – sorry, Matt Jackson – which Jackson won the three-way? 
Uh, Nick. Nick was in the three-way. Matt was in the uh, the four-man. Okay, well, the three-way. Nick was awesome, and Nick versus Phoenix is going to fucking rule. Yeah. But By the it, way, uh, I, I just read that Phoenix uh, in the Observer newsletter that Phoenix actually got hurt on the cannonball spot that hurt uh, John Moxley, too. So 100% injury rate, that move. But he apparently hurt his back and was barely cleared for Dynamite, like literally hours before the show. Yeah, but he was cleared. That's what matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, overall, I, it's not going to change. But how clustered things have been with the booking, going from all, all in to Wrestle Dream and having two big shows in between in like 30 days time. Yeah. It's too much. It's too A lot much. going on. Yeah. They are it's, keeping busy. It's too much, but what what can you do? Like, it just kind of is what it is. Uh, like, I don't know. It, it it's just been hard to watch te- the television shows lately. It, it has because of. Is there any particular reason I say as I think about the MJF Adam Cole stuff? <clears throat> the MJF Adam Cole stuff is not helping. Let me tell you, I hated Dynamite this week, and it's really funny because it's getting like rave reviews everywhere. Um, they're literally on Squared Circle right now. Like I told you this before the show, but I pulled up the Squared Circle subreddit, and the top post is just seen last night's AW Dynamite. How on fire are their promos and segments at the moment? And of course, they mentioned uh, Jay White and MJF first, and I just did not love this episode at all. But it's got a 8.18 on Cage Match. With only three votes below a seven. Um, and I don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to say that there was nothing good on the show because there was good stuff on the show. There were a couple of good matches on it. But I thought that uh, the MJF Adam Cole segment, the pre tape was bad. And then I did not like the entering promo until it got to the tail end with uh, Jay White doing some decent stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe we're on an island here because I assume you're along the same lines. But this is I, I this is not what I want to see on a dynamite. Is you know more talking than wrestling. Yeah, it, this is not the dynamite that I fell in love with. This is not the AEW I fell in love with. And how much of that is just due to the fact that they're trying to cater to the overall wrestling fan versus trying to actually be what they were to start. I knew WWE stuff was going to filter in over time. It's just, it's, and it's not even an insult. It's WWE has been the market leader in this country for, I don't know, 40 years that you're going to have crossover. You're just gonna, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. However, they seem to have overall lost the core of what AEW was to start. And to me, that's the most frustrating part. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to bury the pre-tape completely because, all right, so, you know, this is a company that's established that, uh, like, in fact, one of the big opening bullet points in this MJF Adam Cole storyline is that Adam Cole called MJF a dummy and uh, said that he doesn't actually watch the show back. You know, when he was doing a backstage segment where he was talking with Roddy about, you know, how MJF isn't really trustworthy or his friend and then um we turn around and we get mjf taking adam cole out on a 
boat to go fishing. But then Adam Cole is, uh, he asks, you know, MJF offers to get Adam Cole another beer. And MJF gets up, goes back to the cooler. But instead of getting a beer, he menacingly puts on his uh, diamond battle royal diamond ring um, and is clearly acting like he's going to hit Adam Cole because he did not go to the ring with MJF for his match with Samoa Joe. And then Adam Cole just happens to mention, hey, just so you know, people that are friends have other friends. And maybe those other friends don't like each other, but that's normal. And then MGF goes, well, if that's normal, I understand. And then puts up his ring. And then after that kind of, that really awkward, um, you know, whole, we're doing a tape segment where I'm pretending, I'm going to set up to kill you. (laughs) Dump your body in a lake. They then go with them accidentally hooking Big Show with the fishing line. No, no, not Big Show. Oh, Captain, Captain Insano. Insano. Well, draft is, dressed as Captain Insano, but acting like retired Paul White. Um, so, so MJF was getting ready to do this murder, but did not see Paul White bobbing along in the water right by their boat. <laughs> Who would witness the murder and the, the dumping of the body. Uh, yeah, and then they all just enjoyed a beer while they hung out. And then... Later, MJF and Adam Cole come out for their promo, and they're just buds. And, you know, you could tell me, well, Adam Cole hasn't had time to see that promo segment, the pre-tape of them on the boat for their fishing trip, their Godfather 2 trip. And that's fine, but if Sunday Adam Cole does not immediately turn on MJF or something... Or even next week if he's out of the building because his friend plotted to murder him. Uh, I don't know. This is all just a big mess. Um, it's not I, just a ro- big mess. It sucks. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's that, that MJF segment, I feel like, in ring, went like 25 minutes. Like that was a Triple H Reign of Terror promo. Um, just brought the show to a screeching halt. Um, you know what's really annoying about this whole thing? It started off with a damn near five star match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really great into this dynamite show. Oh. And honestly, I still think that they would have had like kicked off one of the all time great storylines if uh, they had done something to advance the storyline at uh, at All In. But instead, they are just like, oh, we're anguished about losing slash winning the match, but we're friends. You know, okay. So that's fine. You know, I, this just isn't for me. And if it was something in the mid card that wasn't for me, I think that'd be like more tolerable. But getting, you know, this. WWE light storyline in my main event scene completely around the the world championship and also foisting the secondary tag belts on shows too. So we get uh, MJF in a handicap match against the Righteous. Um, an act that is not established at all. 
and they're just going to run into the buzzsaw that is MJF. And MJF is, I, I would bet you money right now, is going to win that match, probably by cheating, which, you know, is MJF, that's fine. But, you know, and then, you know, this is how the Righteous is getting introduced to the AEW audience. And it's going to end up, you know, I, I th- you know this is the thing that kind of, I think, is hurting these, is going to hurt these acts. It's not something we'll see for a while, but like Aussie Open, essentially their first few appearances on AEW was like, oh, here's this really good tag team that doesn't do anything, that never gets any results on AEW TV. And then they become the Ring of Honor tag champs, and then they immediately get made to look like fools by MJF and Adam Cole. And now we got the Righteous, supposedly on the upswing, supposedly in line for a big push in AEW. And their first thing, period... Is that they're going to challenge the uh, the better than you baby, and now just basically MJF in a handicap match, um, and I don't know, man. Like this, just this ain't it for me. No, it sucks. It 100 sucks. I hate it. B A W. Stop trying to be any somebody else. Yeah, and this story. is the thing that that, that killed. Impact slash TNA back when it was really TNA back in the day where it looked like it had a a shot at being a proper alternative is it just could not stop copying WWE and it got to the point where TNA just became like the place that WWE rejects went and uh, they um, they just couldn't uh, you know separate themselves from WWE so they became second rate WWE. And I think that's a key reason why they failed. And um, I, you know, AEW at least has a nice track record of trying to do different things from WWE, but I'm afraid that they're just going to just going to uh, try to do the same stuff and uh, it's going to hurt them. They're going to look like a payo imitation because they don't do all the super production stuff that the WWE fan loves and mm-hmm. um, it just can't be uh, you know we they're going from a competitor brand to trying to be a pale imitation of the lead brand and that's not that doesn't feel like something that's going to work to me no it's <sighs> can we move on I, I'm just yeah. very mad about this and I don't want to talk about it <laughs> sure Uh is there anything else off the the dynamite you want to talk about? I thought both multi man matches were were good, but not great. I went three and three quarter on each. Uh, <clears throat> Ray Phoenix against Jeff Jarrett is just a really bizarre match. And um, as my uh, roof guy gets here, the audio quality that I offer is fantastic. Um, yeah, um, and uh, the Hangman Page for Strickland segment probably would have been fine in a vacuum. But, you know, after so much of the show being talking, uh, and, you know, we got like Don Callis segments, which reminds me, there's actually, I, I, I got to talk about the, the pre-tape thing. Um, it takes something for a guy to look washed doing a pre-tape beatdown. And Kota Ibushi looked rough in that segment. And that's 
really not promising for what Kota Ibushi, you know, has been for so long, which is a, a high level professional wrestler in the ring. And I'm just worried that he's just shot. Yeah. And you know what? If he is shot, that's fine. It makes sense. I mean, he's in his 40s and he's worked hard and he never really, like, he, he's the kind of guy that always put himself out there for crazy spots. Uh, so he it's kind used of, himself for years. Yeah. Doing all kinds of insane stuff. It was bound to happen. You know what was hilarious? That beatdown. I didn't realize that was a Bushi until about halfway through the beatdown. That was a really weirdly was, done thing. I thought it was like his, like a young boy. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a Bushi. And then all of a sudden, it's a Bushi. I'm like, oh, okay. This is weird now. But it, like, I don't know. It's it's a disappointment. And it's not just the Bushi looked bad. Uh, Takeshita, I thought, looked bad in that, too. So, yeah, I don't know what to say about the segment other than uh, the pre-tape kind of stunk. Uh, the John Callis promo was great. Uh, any big th- thoughts on Sammy's promo? I thought it was, like, fine. You know, like a decent heel promo. Nothing spectacular. Yeah, fine. Fine, fine. I, I do like uh, Sammy Guevara is basically doing a Scarface character. Yeah. I don't know if I he's doing a Scarface cool. character, but they're doing a Scarface uh, gimmick with his Tron. Um, I, I don't, I didn't pick up on anything like I'm Tony Montana now, but that's just me. Well, I mean, the the video board was like Scarface. Like the Yeah, coloring, that's what I'm yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then he comes out wearing white pants and a like a floral print shirt. That's yeah. 1980s Miami. Like True, true. I don't I don't know how they're going to evolve from this, but Sammy's a prick face, and I'm excited to see how he, uh, how we'll take this because I think this could be a money maker for him in AEW. Yeah, uh, you know, hopefully this works out for him because you know uh, he he gets a lot of flack, um, but I do think he has talent. I think he could be something. I don't know about like a tippy top main eventer, but I, he could be a viable like you know semi main guy for a long time. Um, I always feel like I'm on a much higher um, level when it comes to him than most. Uh, yeah. As the leaf blowing intensifies. Um, Christian and Darby, that segment rolled. God, Christian's so good, man. He's just on another plane right now. Um, and that, that triple threat match, or I'm sorry, three-way or whichever you prefer. Uh, that was How dare you, Fred? How very dare good you? match. I know. I just I just used the WWE term, but that's what I grew up on. So, uh, but I did like it. It was a good triangle match. Can I use that? Um, yeah, triangle's okay. fine. Uh, it was a good triangle match, and uh, it was really solid, and uh, did a good job of doing that storyline. And now Christian is actually the TNT champion. Um, be interested to see where that goes and what they do with Luchasaurus. Uh, and I, as for the Swerve Strickland Hangman Page segment, I thought that was solid. Uh, you know, the the Black Cloud CM Punk illusions were interesting to say the least. Nothing that would uh, 
a reasonable person would find legally actionable, I think. But, um, yeah, if it had come on a different show, maybe where there was less promoing, uh, less talking, I would have been more receptive to this. And then we went off the air with ninjas beating down Jay White, mysterious men, one of whom wearing the devil mask. Who could it be? It's got to be La Faction and Gobernable, right? It could be. It could very much be because Jay White cut a promo on Andrade and had a match with him. And uh, there's Roosh out there waiting for his big return. And it's, you know, Andrade has been kind of presented as a face, while I think the Roosh faction comes off very much as heels. So I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, and also, Jay White is 100% a heel. So, but yeah. This was definitely a show. Any thoughts on all those segments I just talked about? Not really. They existed. Like, I don't. Yep. No, I. I it's this company's tough right now, man. It's it's tough as I hear some zooming or something in your background. Yeah, that's the leaf guy. We got leaves on the roof, and now a man is up there blowing them off. You have a audio, the leaf guy. Audio quality. The Joe Lanza special. Hey, I got a lawn guy and a leaf guy because I'm allergic to everything that exists in Kentucky, including horses, which is, that's a shoot. Hey, at least you're allergic to Rand Paul. Good for you. Hey. All right. It's time for a heat check, baby. We got ourselves a Purple View coming up this Sunday. Wrestle Dream from Seattle. Washington on October 1st. Let's do a heat check on this card. So if this is your first heat check, we go through the card and we say, hey, how excited are you for this match? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is not excited at all, and 10 is extremely excited. And then we talk about the matches. Yay. As of right now, we got 10 matches announced, according to the Wikipedia. I'm just doing weird pronunciations to pop myself right now. Uh, our first match is Ricky Starks against Wheeler, Utah. Where you at on this one? I'm at an eight. Uh, like, That's where I am too. The build is meh. This is gonna rule. Like, yeah, it just kind of forked off the Brian Danielson series, and which is fine because Utah's the young boy of the BCC. Utah's uh, gonna lose. Oh yeah, he has to. It's gonna be a really good match, and I hope that Utah gets. I don't know, like 60% of this match and then loses just because it, it shows growth for Yuta and it, it emphasizes that Starks is on top. Yeah, it. Um, I'm excited about this. I think we're finally getting the big Ricky Starks push that I've been calling for forever. And I think Yuta is a guy for the future. How much of a guy? I'm not sure. I don't know. Again, he's kind of like Sammy Guevara. I can't guarantee... Uh, I think at worst right now, Yuta's a world title challenger. Yeah. Like that that's a that's a reasonable ceiling for him. Um if he just ends up as like the ultimate mid card, you know, solid worker, like a TNT champion like this generation's Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. I you know, that'd be okay with me, man. Uh that'd be that's a good slot to have. And he's a he's a great worker, uh, I think. He just hasn't yeah, he's actually had less opportunities uh, this year than last, I think, is you know, the promotion has shifted some. How old is he? 26? He's young. He, yeah, he's um he's got he time. Is 26. He definitely has time. 
Uh, I'd be shocked. Let me pull out my list again. But he was on my... Uh, yeah, he was 25 on my 30 under 30 list. Wow, um, you, you really hate him. Yeah. He sucks. What can I say? Just like I've been saying the whole time. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. He's He was not nearly that low on mine. Um, let's see. I... I'd have to count here because I didn't number my wrestlers. He's 14th. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Next match is a four-way tag team match for a future AW World Tag Team Championship because the rankings are dead. We've got the Young Bucks, the Lucha Bros, the Guns, and Orange Cassidy and Hook as our oddball tag team in the moment, facing off in a uh, four-way tag match. How do you feel about this one? It's going gonna, it's gonna to end up being good. Yeah, I just don't care. I'm at a yeah, five. It, the build on this has been really minimal. This is going to be a really good match, but I just don't give a crap. Um, it's... I... I AW used to have the rankings, and the rankings used to decide who got title shots. But on top of that, they also decided who got opportunities to get title shots. Like, this would have been the second, third, fourth, and fifth ranked teams in the rankings, and they would all battle to get the title shot. There was cohesiveness. This just feels mismatched and put together. I want the rankings back. Yeah. It's just thrown together, and, uh, you know, there had to be a better way to do this but this is what we got you know and meh uh but i mean the match will be pretty damn fun i think uh you know it the guns are going to bring it down a little bit uh though i do think they're improving in the ring but they're still obviously the weakest team uh as far as uh, quality goes and they yeah. they do a heavy heel shtick that isn't really like a match excellence thing i still i i've turned around on them as being part of the show like they entertain me now as part of the bullet club so, you know, kudos yeah. on them for improving. They're perfect in that role. Yeah, they're perfect goons uh, for this, like, slightly goofy but dangerous heel group. Um, but, yeah, I'm going, like, a six on this. I, I know the match will deliver. I know it'll be at least, like, eh, this could sniff four stars, I think. You know, it could even pass it if things go really well. But just not much of a build to it. And uh, the AW is going heavy on the win this tournament slash battle royal slash random match to uh, earn a title shot thing. Yeah. Uh, Julia Hart and Chris Statlander for the AEW TBS Championship. Tyler, where are you at? I, I'll be honest. I'm at like an eight. I'm really? excited. To, I'm excited to see Julia Hart in a big spot as a wrestler because we really haven't seen many of these. And to me, that's the intrigue. She's what? 22 years old. So like she's stupid young. Yeah. And she's 21. Been a, yeah. She's been a manager for the house of black for the majority of her run now. And when she was with the varsity blonde, she wrestled a little bit, mainly on dark and stuff, but this is her first really big match yeah. as a singles competitor in all elite wrestling. To me, that's the intrigue. I want to see how she does. And I want to see how Statlander handles it too, because she hasn't been necessarily somebody known to carry and known to mm. work 
like help a a competitor that she's facing like bring their level up. So I want to see how she does that. And it, she's kind of like Ruby Soho in that way, where I called Ruby Soho tofu, where she was whoever she wrestled against. And did it, did uh, MJF steal that line from us? I know that's he not did, like a... and I I Max, I called Britt me... Baker tofu. I called Ruby Soho tofu. MJF is a guaranteed listen to this show. I right there, hey, tofu. Maxwell, you owe us royalties. Uh, hook me up with the monies. Thank you. Um, yeah, I am actually. I'm not very high on this match personally. Like, I, I it's going to be kind of interesting to see what they can do. And I will say that Julia looked pretty good in her matches with Willow Nightingale and um, on uh, Rampage against uh, Sky Blue. Though I did not like that match very much. Um, I, uh, but I'm not very excited for this because I don't think it'll be, Chris is not as good of a worker as Willow. I mean, not that Chris is bad, but she's, you know, I think Willow's noticeably better in ring. And, uh, I think there's a chance this could be not a disaster, but just like there, like a seven minute women's match. That's just kind of fine. And so I'm just kind of on a, I think I'm at a four on this right now, to be honest. The intrigue is to see how how Hart and Statlander handle it. Not that I actually mm-hmm. think it'll be a really good match. Oh, there's intrigue. I'm just not like excited by the intrigue. <laughs> it's completely it's like, fair. It's it's like this could be this. I'm intrigued about if I have to avert my eyes. Well, the tough part like, about AEW's women's division is they have not told you that you should care about it. God, yeah, the women's division has. Well, we've talked about this some and. We could talk about it more. We could talk about it for hours, but we got other stuff to do. It's just not great right now. No. The creative on it's not good. Uh, I can go back and point at people they did not retain. That would have helped out a lot. Um, man, I thought we were at least going to get a little more serious push put into Diamante and Mercedes Martinez. And uh, they apparently have fallen into uh, a bottomless pit for Mario or something. Because they're just gone. Uh, Serena Serena Deeb may have uh, dramaed her way out of the company. Uh, I guess we haven't talked about that, have we? Uh, Fightful said that basically she she pissed off people backstage to the point that she hasn't been booked for a year. So when she said she was injured, like, it's a question of was she really so injured that she uh, was not welcome. Um, yeah. Let me get that quote pulled up. Yeah, um, Deeb has told people that she's dealt with a serious injury and is working to get cleared per Fightful. However, there were sources within AEW who said there was also a serious disagreement with management last year that led to her being off television. She accused Tony Khan and AEW management of cutting the time for her matches without telling her until they got to the ring. And the claim on the AEW side of things was that they actually got a list of times and showed Deeb that her time wasn't cut based on what was originally budgeted. Yeah, that sounds like a big nothing burger to me. Yeah, I it's yeah, but but it's apparently to the point they don't want her around. So and like I'm not like a, a deep super fan, but like she was pretty solid, you know, in a role and she was she could pull people to good matches and would be useful at this point in time and no deep. Uh 
You know what? I wonder how much of that has to do with her relationship with Marty Skrull. Uh, you know, that's always going to be a question. That's there. a very layered and difficult conversation that you honestly can't answer without having actually been in the building. But Skrull yeah. obviously is pretty much blacklisted from any major uh, wrestling company. And that could end up being a point of contention with Deeb. It also may not be. In, they may be able to completely have things separate. And it's just one of those things. But if, like, your significant other is in the same profession and they can't work in the places you do, that can be a point of contention. And it's something to at least understand that, hey, this could be part of it, but we also can't say it is. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's... Next. Yeah, we Go could ahead. do like a whole episode on just kind of or I could do a whole article if I sat down and like just research where AEW's women's division kind of has been failed at points by management. But yeah. Um, number seven. Uh, uh, I don't know why I read the match number off Wikipedia like it matters. Uh, Katsuyori Shibata is challenging Eddie Kingston for both the Ring of Honor World Championship and the Strong Openweight Championship. Where are you at on this one? Oh, man. This would have been so great if this was Katsuyori Shibata, March of 2017. Yeah. But modern-day Katsuyori Shibata, I don't know. Good for Eddie Kingston getting another one of his quote-unquote like dream matches. I'm not that excited for modern-day Katsuyori Shibata. I think it's dope as hell that he can continue to wrestle, but he can't continue to wrestle the way he used to wrestle. So I'm at like a six. I, you know, I think Shibata can still kind of go. Like, he's not what he once was. Um, and uh, I think he still has pretty good matches. Uh, a lot of it is off the aura of what he was before the injury, but I think he still works pretty well. So I'm going to seven on this one. I think this could be, uh, I mean, this should be a good match. It could be a great one. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe I'm just jaded by wrestling right now. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, if you're jaded about this next one, we may have to have a off hair conversation. Um, we got ourselves Darby Allen challenging Christian Cage for the TNT championship in a best two out of three falls match. Tyler, where are you at? Six billion. This match is going to rock. I will say that I was very scared when I only heard the syllable six. And I was like, do we need to talk about an SSRI? <laughs> is everything okay, Tyler? So one thing that... Uh, what's, here's what I think is going to happen. I think Darby's going to win the title. But Christian Cage is going to hit the kill switch. And Darby's going to land literally on the top of his head. Oh, God, yes. And he's gonna, he's going to go for a second pin right away because he's like, ah, I killed him. And then Darby's going to mount that massive baby face comeback. And I think he's going to win one fall at the last supper. And then he's going to put him away with the coffin drop. And he's going to end up the TNT title champion again. And I think this is going to rule because yeah. Christian is one of the best things about pro wrestling would not shock me if edge gets involved. Yeah. That's a possibility too. Uh, I, I want to take your proposal one step further and say that he hits the kill switch on the apron. And Darby takes the ugliest bump in recorded history. 
which is hilarious because Darby probably has like six of them. Yeah. Uh, I could just totally see that happening. Like, you know, Christian be like, all right, I'll hit you with a kill switch. And Darby being like, nah, man, I got to try to die. <laughs> let's, He's let's basically make this... wrestling in his, I think Seattle's his hometown. He is, yeah. So this could really steal the show. Like, I, I would not be shocked if this ended up being uh, your favorite match off it. Yeah. Um, next up, six-man tag action. We got ourselves Chris Jericho and the Golden Elite. Why is everything golden? Um, against the Don Callis family of Kanoski, Takeshita, Sammy Guevara, and Will Ospreay. Where you nine. on this one? Yeah, nine. nine. Okay. I'm really intrigued to see how Jericho and Omega work together. Yeah. Because they basically hated each other for the majority of this run. Actually, the entirety of this run. But they did face off in Winnipeg back in March, I think it was. And that was kind of cool. Don Callis was involved, and that kind of started the whole Don Callis family bit. I think this could end up being really good. Uh, I, I don't know what the end game is here. I don't know how you evolve more from this, but I think this this is going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, Guevara probably takes the fall. Or maybe Guevara beats Jericho, and that's how you get out of this. That's, you know, it's it's really interesting. I do think it might be that. It might be uh, Guevara getting the fall on Jericho. Uh, or we could have Takeshita beat Omega again um, to continue that storyline because he's, you know, like, what, 2-0 now on Omega officially? Though through chicanery at some points, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm very curious about how this is this will go. I'm going to go an 8 on this because I'd probably be at a 9 too, except for the fact that I've convinced myself Kota Ibushi is shot and I don't know that I want to see like not physically capable Kota Ibushi you know, like just leave the memories alone kind of deal mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe he'll step it up, maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised and Tyler maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised about this next match the Righteous, Dutch and Vincent, are challenging for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship against MJF. I can't I can't snap my fingers. I've never been able to. So I guess I can't be with Balloon Guy. Balloon um, Guy is going to win the tag team titles. I, I think without Adam Cole, I don't think they're going to have MJF win. I kind of hope you're right. Um Dude, the I... righteous rocks. No, the this righteous is like, rule. This is like peak Wyatt family stuff. Like, I, I heard, great. I heard of, I heard of people saying that uh, during Dynamite that they liked the MJF pre-tape and did not like the righteous pre-tape. And I don't know that we could be friends. <laughs> like, it's just so obvious to me that the righteous thing was. Cool. Like, it was an interesting segment. It was a nice little promo. I liked it. It was good. And then the MJF pre-tape was bad. (laughs) And I just think we like different things on a very different level. And that's okay. But, man, oh, man. Uh, The idea that uh, I I have not been watching Ring of Honor, uh, so I can't really speak on them there, but their match with the Dark Order on that pay-per-view, uh, the last one, the fight without honor, ruled. It was awesome. Um, I hope this rules. I am not optimistic, though, so I'm just going to drop like a 
a four on here. And if it was a different circumstance for their AW pay-per-view debut, you know, it'd be a higher score. But I don't think this is going to end up looking good for the righteous. The righteous rule. And yeah, I, I'm going to... The Bruchacho, gonna... the Bruchacho line, however, does not. Yeah, well, strap up the righteous, please. I beg of uh, you. That would, that would rule, but I... I would bet against that if I were to be offered the odds. Um, next up. Now this I think will rule even though I am not particularly heated up from the build. But Aussie Open FTR for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Tyler, where are you? You know, if this was a month and a half ago, it would have been at like a 10. I'm yeah. like a, I'm like a 7. They've made Aussie Open look like shit. This is what I'm talking about, man. Like they seriously, they they killed them for the the brachachoness of it, and uh, I think they were not established enough where they could bounce back from that easily in AEW. Uh, I'm interested to see how the crowd responds to it. I think this should, this could be awesome. Um, like a five star match is on the table. I think I went five on there. Uh, London match last year, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, these teams are rule, but I don't know, man. It's just, it's not a strong build, so I'm going to put an eight on this one, uh, mainly because I know the teams are great. Um, and uh, yeah, there I am. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. What and, do we got next? We got two more matches. Uh, and I'm kind of curious about what you think is going to main event this. So I'll ask you after we're done with the last match. But Hangman, Adam Page against Swerve Strickland. I'm at a nine. Yeah, that's where I am too, I think. This is... This one... I don't know if Swerve's ever going to be pushed like the top guy we thought he might be when he came into this company. But he's going to get matches against top guys. And I think he's... He could end up being like like Big Show was in like 2004 WWE. He could be like the gatekeeper. He could be, if you want to be a truly elite top guy, you have to get through me. I think that might end up being his role here. I, I'm i very excited because I think these two styles will mesh really well. I think Swerve is much better than people want to give him credit for. His booking has just been all over the place, and it really sucks because I think you could really get behind him. And one, on another accord prince nana fucking rocks and he just keep, he's getting more and more paydays and god bless tony khan for having reverence uh in professional wrestling oh when nana was doing the dance and then turns around and gets super kicked by the yeah that was great phenomenal uh he's just he's perfect because you know what he's a manager but he doesn't like interfere every five seconds it's yeah it's so refreshing to have a heel manager not be it just is on the outside yeah um, Nana rules. Swerve's really good. Um, I, I you know, and I, I, there's a number of people I'm kind of disappointed with how AEW's used this year, and Swerve is high in that list because I genuinely thought we were going to get like made of it Swerve by this point of the year. And like he's high up the card, let's not, you know, kid ourselves, but it's been a bumpy ride to get here. And, um, he still feels like a secondary character, which is a bummer because Swerve's a great performer. He's good on the mic. He's good on the ring. 
He he's got charisma. He's got everything. He should be like the number one heel in the company, really. And you know he's not. And you know maybe they will still try to get him there. It's still possible, but you know this is. We got Swerve, and uh, Swerve's great, and I just wish they had done better with him a little bit. But that's kind of the 2023 AEW story, in a way. This is a step forward. It is a step forward for him. And it's sad that I'm still kind of, like, down on it. You know, maybe maybe it's just my expectations, and they were not... I did not manage them properly. Uh, but, yeah. You know, that's the... That's my take. Uh... And then our main event is a literal dream match. Brian Danielson against Zack Sabre Jr. 12,300,000. Yeah, this is an easy God, this is going to be great. The one thing that I'm very intrigued by is comments that Brian Danielson had earlier this week where he's been doing these gimmick matches where it puts less pressure on his arm and he can work around it. Yeah. How are you going to work around it with fucking Zack Sabre Jr.? Oh, I don't think Zach will have a problem. <laughs> I think Zach is, you know, one of the smartest wrestlers going today, and he's not going to have an issue, you know, working around any kind of injury that Brian Danielson is dealing with. You know, it's not not going to be a problem, man. I have a comp for Zach Saber Jr. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Gumby. <laughs> he is extremely flexible. Yes, he he is Gumby. Uh God, I would pay money to see him go as Gumby for Halloween. I think that'd be hilarious. But... Look, if MJF cuts a promo in the next two months where he's facing Zack Sabre Jr. and calls him Gumby, then we know. We will know that he's listening. We're tastemakers and yes. not just in Malaysia and Turkey. Damn right. I'm uh, excited for this. This is yeah, a match this... where we were supposed to get a Forbidden Door, and now Last we're getting year. it here. It's in front of Danielson's home crowd. So you know what's going to happen? They're going to do one in Britain. Yeah. This is probably all in next year. Yeah. Um, exciting. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, this is... Uh, this this could really just steal the show. And so this leads to my question. What do you think is going to be the main event match on the show? Because we don't have a proper AEW World Championship match. Um, you know, we one of two uh, matches. It's either Danielson and Zack Saber Jr., which makes sense because it's a dream match. They did that with Forbidden Door, or it's Darby Allen versus Christian. Oh, that was going to be Darby. my dark horse. I was going to say that, and you're going to be really impressed. Darby Allen is the hometown boy. Same with Brian Danielson. They both yep. make sense. If you're going to Strickland. Oh, Swerve is Swerve's from the Pacific Northwest too. Yeah, like yeah. oh, okay. He just his whole promo on Dynamite was about how it was his house, his house, his house, Swerve's house. Um, now I don't think they'll put that in the main event slot because he's a heel. Uh, though he'll probably be a baby face on that night. Um, but yeah, um, I think this could be. Uh, Danielson and Sabre could be the best match of Sabre's career. Um, 
if Danielson doesn't break anything. And if he does break anything, uh, it could still be the best match of Saber's career. And that's not a knock on Saber. Saber's a damn good wrestler. Uh, but I don't know that he really has that high-level pedestal match, uh, at least not in the past couple of years. It seems like most of his work's been, like, really, really good and not excellent. Like, great matches and not, you know, beyond great. Um, but he... Uh, yeah, I, I I'm excited about this. I I can't put it into words. Really, it's uh, it should be a great match, and I think the show will be really awesome when it actually happens. You know, for all all of our complaining, bitching, and moaning about uh, some directions at AEW, uh, I think the promotion still is the best in America, and I think it puts on really good shows uh, when it comes to pay per view, and is still easily the best uh, source of great matches in the United States. So, yeah. Now, Tyler, I have uh, I have very important news for you. Uh, uh oh, some podcast business. Uh oh. I am pleased to announce per pod that per podkite.com. I can't talk podkite.com that we were the number one wrestling podcast in Turkey on September twenty fifth and. September 26th. Listen, flagship, we're coming. You can't be the number one podcast in Turkey, but we sure as hell have been multiple times. And we were a top 20 podcast in sports, period, in Turkey on those same days. Uh, If you are a listener in Turkey, God bless you, and thank you very much for tuning in. We're coming for Namibia. We're coming for Mozambique. I, I want to be the number one wrestling podcast in Cameroon. Granada. Better Norway. Start listing. Just going to start naming countries. That's my bit. Kiribati. <laughs> the Easter Islands. Put put some big headphones on the uh, Moai. <laughs> so they can listen to us too. St. <laughs> Vincent and the Grenadines. It's time. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I guess that's it for AEW this week. I mean, there really was not a lot of breaking news, um, other than possibly Adam Cole's ankle. Um, yeah, which you know, people think maybe it'll work. Um, I don't know, work, work me gently, brother. Uh, I, I just wish that you know, we didn't have this better than you, baby storyline. It's me too. It's bumming me out. Um, and that's despite, like, there's flashes. Like, before before All In, we actually got pretty damn good in-ring promos from MJF and Adam Cole. Like, I liked the in-ring stuff more than I didn't. Uh, I thought it was all pretty good. And then the pre-tapes were just terrible. Like, bad WWE stuff. And I feel like since then we've got more of the bad WWE stuff than we have the the good AEW style promos, and I, you know, that's just very concerning to me as a fan of what AEW has been so far, and I don't like the idea of it moving away from that um, into more of a sports entertainment style, and that's just uh, that's just not what I want in my wrestling. Yeah, it's not what I want either. I I want the guys Is your going. Dog- is your dog moaning? Is that? Oh, you Tyler? can hear Odie. Yeah, yeah he's he's like. Uh, so like when Frenchie's dream that it, it 
it almost looks like sometimes they're having a seizure. Like they yeah. kind of like twitch a little bit, but then it stops. He was kind of doing that. Now he's good. He's oh. you can see him. He's right here. Oh, Odie. What a good dog. He's a good boy. The hungry dog is asleep. And uh, maybe we will be too after we finish the show up. Uh, Tyler, anything else you want to talk about? I think that's all I got. That's all I got too. AEW is just not as interesting of a company right now as it normally is. Yeah, maybe we can get some good stuff going again. Um, CMLL rules. <laughs> um, I've been watching as much CMLL as I can, and I'm still way behind. I've got matches. I've been trying to catch up on the main event scene in particular, uh, and I'm like in May right now, but you know, they're just doing really well. Uh, it's really cool stuff. And I, yeah, I need to watch the anniversary show still. I have it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. I've been watching Big Brother Canada. Oh, okay. It's very different. It's very weird. I'm not sure. Like, I started with season one, I'm not sure. If like, but yeah, it's it's good so far. Cool. I have never watched Big Brother in my life, <laughs> so I have no takes on Big Brother. Do you watch The Bachelor? I I watched one season. And yeah, I got over it. It's nah, that's not for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I get why people love it. I don't yeah. like Big Big Brother. Has got like all that social aspect and manipulation and i i like that in my reality television like fighting over somebody's affection i don't know yeah like i'm a very monogamous dude like eh, it's not for me fair enough fair enough tyler is a lover not a fighter and uh i think we're gonna stop fighting to extend this podcast this week my name make is sure Fred. you go Make sure you go follow us on the Twitter machine at GoodBadHungy, myself at the Real Forno, and Fred on all the Twitter spinoffs that are not succeeding right no, now. Just the one, Blue, Blue Sky. Blue Sky's uh, doing fine. <laughs> um, if you have a question for us, please go ahead and submit it. Uh, um, that you can email us at, I don't even remember what our email address is. it HungyPod at gmail.com? I think it is, yes. Yep, and then uh, also the Voice of Wrestling Discord. You can submit a question that way. Um, like, subscribe, give us five stars, leave a positive review, help us continue to grow so we can be the number one podcast in places like Easter Islands, Cameroon, and Norway. The Sultanate of Oman. Yes. Fall in line. Thank you very much for listening. God bless. Take care. Have a good one, everyone. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you, you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.